And welcome back to a fresh episode of the Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And if you haven't yet, check out my weekly email where I'm sharing actual website and marketing tips, useful podcasts, free goodies, and much, much more so you can kickstart your Monday with a bang every week. It's over at businessgrowth.email. So I've got Tara. Robertson joining us today. Tara's the senior demand gen manager over at Chili Piper. She's also now the podcast host over at Demand Gen Chat. Tara, welcome back to the show. How's it going? Really good, Sam. Thanks so much for having me. No worries. Looking forward to it. So we're going to be chatting all about how B2B marketers, how businesses in general can drive inbound without gating their content. Something that gets chatted about all the days of the week on social media, LinkedIn, and for, there's always debates between marketers, upper management, C-suite on, on this. So it should be a pretty interesting debate and there should be a good bit of back and forth. But first and foremost, Tara, for anyone that isn't familiar with gated content, what, what does that actually mean? Sure. So I think the most common thing you'll see is marketers essentially putting a form or what we call a gate in front of content that they basically decided was high value enough to gate and ask for either an email and um, return, or they're just putting a long form in front of that content. So they're basically saying, hey, you give me your email and I'll give you this content. It's kind of the most basic version, but you'll see that for things like blog posts even. Some people, it used to be just kind of PDFs, but now there's all different types of content that people are gating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's something that's been done for years, right? Whether it's for a webinar, for an ebook, for a download, or some websites will even ask it if you just want to see their pricing, so you can know their yeah. rates and things like that. So it comes in all shapes and sizes, sometimes a small ask, sometimes right through to, to quite a big ask, depending on what the, the goodies you get at the end of it. But mm-hmm. is, it, is it an outdated practice now, Tara? Is it something that needs to kick the boot when it comes to B2B especially? Yeah, I think I have a hard time saying things are definitively dead or <laughs> completely gone because I don't know sure. your business and I don't know everyone's inside and out of their business. But I think... From my experience, at least, when we were gating things a couple of years ago, we were gating basically the best content. We were saying this is worth gating because people will feel like it was a fair value. They were exchanging their email and they were getting great content. But when I think about that now, why would you want to hide your best content? It doesn't really (laughs) make the most sense. If you are trying to bring people into your business, you would want to kind of lead with your best foot forward, not have your okay content is best content. Oh, we've just dropped out. I don't know if that's my side Hidden. or. Oh. oh, sorry, Tara. I lost. I lost the last five seconds of then. I know you were just saying. I lost it too. <laughs> I lost. Yeah, it. not sure. That might have been the tool. Um, our streaming streamyard tool. But I, we heard you mm-hmm. just until you said companies were gating their best content and then leaving others open. So we could just carry on that last bit. Sure. Yeah. So I think really you want to lead with your best foot forward, not your kind of mediocre content, right? So if you have your best content hidden, people might never see it. And from the side of the team that's producing that content, it's not a great story for them either because they put all this time and effort into that and way less people will see that if you put it behind a gate. So obviously there's some things like say a live webinar where you might need a gate because just logistically (laughs) you need to sign up. But for the most part, a lot of B2B marketers that I'm talking to are moving away from that gate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that 
those kind of things where it's 100% needed, like you say, whether you're signing up for some kind of live video event, be it a webinar, LinkedIn Live, whatever, mm-hmm. do you think that should be the only exception because you literally need to put in your info so you notify the date that it goes live so you can sign in? I mean, there are some other exceptions too. Like, for example, we send out a newsletter every couple of weeks that people really seem to enjoy. So for that, obviously, I need your email. I can't email you <laughs> without that. Um, sure. But other than that, I think... I can't really think of too many other reasons why you would want to gate your content and hide it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know over at Chili Piper, you've pretty much mm-hmm. got an open policy, like you say, apart from those two things when it comes to sharing things. And did you, when you decided to take the take the rails off, take the gates out, did it have a big impact on kind of all, all sides of business? Or initially, did you see a dip? And did perhaps your team get worried because you were getting less contact information <laughs> from prospects? Or what was the process there? Yeah, that happened actually before my time at Chili Piper. So I can't say for sure what the numbers were like when we made that switch, but we've always been focused further down the funnel on our marketing team. So Mm. we obviously we do have some forms. Like I said, we have some webinars and events. We have our newsletter, but the focus for our team is really driving opportunities and meetings for sales. So we've never really been in that headspace of we just need to put a form out to drive an MQL. Yeah. Which is good. We've never we didn't start from that space, so we don't really have to fight against that culture of it, which is it's, a positive for me coming in when that was already done. I'd say, yeah, I'd say it's a nice spot to be in. Certainly, a marketer mm-hmm. in where we are now and moving forward. But yeah. like I was saying offline before we hit record, Tara, there's I still chat to a lot of marketing leaders, be it CMOs, VPs of marketing, most weeks, whether that is around a sales conversation, talking about their website, their SEO, their digital strategy, and still quite a lot of them are getting pressure from upper management perhaps from the Mm C-suite, that they need to drive leads. And in order to maximize lead volume, they've got to produce MQLs, marketing qualified leads from all shapes and all sizes. Because if the C-suite don't see this volume of leads coming in, they're going to get pressured. Their role in the company might be in compromise and they're just going to be in in stress Mm -hmm. city, basically. And that often means that they want to ramp up paid, paid advertising perhaps to drive as many kind of webinar signups or ebook downloads or content downloads, whatever kind of marketing qualified lead you see fit, maybe then put them through some kind of email nurture. So what's, what's your kind of response to people that have got this this pressure? Because I know it's not easy, right? Because it's not necessarily their choice. Yeah, it's I've, I've been there, so I can empathize mm. with that. I think it's tough because that comes from the top. But at the same time, there are things you can do as a marketer who's executing on campaigns. So one thing I would do is take a look, if you can pull a report of those MQLs that you're bringing in and how many are actually being qualified by sales, how many are becoming opportunities. It's probably a very low number if you're doing things like gating a PDF and sending those leads right to sales. So I would take a look at that first. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you can look at your most recent either closed one deals or just new ops and see where did those come from. So one thing that we do is we use Gong to record all of our sales calls. And I actually have alerts set up for things like the podcast that we run, like the newsletter, so that when that comes up on a call, I just right. kind of flag that and I can make a note of it. So it might awesome. not come up in an, our attribution tool, but it's interesting for me to track and make the case that like, hey, I should be spending more time on this versus direct demand gen campaigns or lead gen campaigns. Got it. Okay, so you're talking about almost like listening in for <laughs> signs that things outside of capturing MQLs, capturing emails, capturing the kind of lower levels of intent leads that your other strategies are working um to is i guess that's to to prove to kind of upper management that are perhaps putting on the pressure 
that needs to drive more about MQLs that these other strategies in today's world are actually more effective when it comes to driving mm-hmm. kind of qualified sales convos. Yeah. And it's also worth just talking to your manager about like, hey, last time you bought software, how did that journey look? And mm. it sounds very obvious, but if you think about it, it's very rare that I convert directly from say a paid ad for an ebook. And then the next day I'm in their email nurture and I get kind of swooped into booking a demo that I can't think of a time that has happened for me personally. Um, So I just don't believe that people buy that way from just going through an email nurture, being talked into booking a demo. It's really more just you talk to your peers, you're reading content, you're listening to podcasts, all kinds of things. And then finally something clicks and you realize, okay, I should go check these guys out. And for their attribution, that might look like organic search or it might look like direct traffic. So that's yeah. where looking at things like Gong and other listening tools can be really powerful. Yeah, interesting stuff. So what about on the other side, though? So what about dealing with the sales team and whether that is, I don't know, your VP of sales, your chief revenue officer, your sales leader, whoever looks after sales for your organization. And what if you mm-hmm. say, well, look, we're going to cut off the MQLs. We're <laughs> going to cut off the email nurture. And and they're like, well, we want we want we still want a, a big flow of leads that's gonna gonna cut down our conversations our sales reps might have to do more cold outreach or whatever the alternative is how do you kind mm-hmm. of deal with those difficult conversations yeah i think i mean often those conversations will happen around the same time because you'll mm. be saying are these mqls converting and who's following up if it's if you have an inbound sdr or bdr team often they're the one who owns that follow up process and what that looks like so again i would look into are those converting? How much time does it take an SDR to convert an inbound lead? If it's yep. something like an ebook lead, it's not that much different than outbound, to be totally honest. I mean, that sure. person isn't expecting a follow up and they're not expecting to be put. I mean, now you're kind of expecting it, but not in a good way. So um, you're not really hoping to be put into that SDR's queue when you download something. Um, I think so most I would people really just have... put in fake info, right? <laughs> I mean, we, I, I often put in real info because I love to see other people's nurture programs, but maybe that's just very meta. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm a good one, I guess. But I just like to spy on other people's marketing. So maybe that's just me. But um, I I think it is a broader conversation of do you need an inbound sales team, period. So if you are in that process of, okay, we have 100 MQLs we have to bring in or else the inbound sales team can't hit their targets, yeah, that's a much broader conversation of, is this the best use of a sales team's time period? Do we need to have this inbound team? Because if this team is chasing people that, again, filled out an ebook form, they're not mm. expecting that they might not even be a good fit for your product. And then they're just chasing these leads versus but the new strategy that a lot of companies like Chili Piper is using is we have that team purely focused on outbound, but they're focusing on accounts that we know are qualified. So they're spending their time on social, on different platforms engaging with those leads directly and kind of building up that relationship versus basically being admin coordinators for the AE team and kind of booking those meetings for them. Mm. Yeah. 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 I want to talk about that a little bit more in a sec and how perhaps the comparison between sending less qualified leads to perhaps inbound sales development reps versus Mm -hmm. allowing visitors to self-qualify, which we can dive into in a bit. But we've talked about that getting content isn't necessarily the way. Then what is the right way? What what should B2B <laughs> companies consider as opposed to investing in kind of paid and 
heavily gated content, whether that's driving people to lead forms or whatever it may be, paid sponsored webinars, et cetera. What's, what's kind of some of the ways that you're seeing working right now? Yeah, so I definitely wouldn't say that paid channels are off the table. I think it's just a different approach. So things like a lead form on LinkedIn for an ebook probably aren't converting down the funnel. I mean, maybe they are for you, but I'd be pretty surprised to hear that. So mm. again, I would look at what is converting and spending money driving to that. So for example, right now we know that we get qualified leads from things like a podcast. So we'll put paid spend on LinkedIn behind just social clips of our podcast that are usually we try to tie it back to our brand story and kind of topics like this, where it's about, Hey, do you need an inbound SDR team? If we have a clip of that, we can use that and get the message right on that LinkedIn channel instead of driving them to a gated asset that will have the same message kind of buried in it under the gate. So really Got trying it. to lead with that messaging. Yeah. So are we saying, or are you saying it's more of a demand generation play where we're not necessarily trying to force prospects down a specific funnel that we might want them to go down but it's more kind of educating the market so targeting like you said there whether that's paid content on LinkedIn or another channel where you're getting in front of the target audience giving them something they might find entertaining whether that's a snippet of a podcast or a written post or infographic whatever and then mm -hmm. kind of hoping that over time they're seeing our brand enough that when they do need our product, our service, we're top of mind or when they know someone that needs it, they're going to refer our company mm -hmm. to them because they've seen us so much and kind of built up that long-term trust. Yeah, it's funny you said brand because in the past I would have thought of all of this that I'm talking about as brand marketing, which to me I would say like, oh, that's not my thing. I'm more of a numbers demand gen person. But yep. now I think things have changed so much where, again, we're not gating everything. So you're not always focusing on that lead. You're focusing on things like, are people engaging with this post? Are they sharing it? Mm. What are the comments like? And those are metrics that I never would have looked at a couple of years ago. Mm. So it's really changing a lot. Yeah, and this might be relevant for the next point. So for, for B2Bs or companies that want to scale fast, typically the, the mindset is we need maximum ad leads to fuel our, our sales team so we can hit our revenue targets. Mm -hmm. Well, that's for, for the next year, for the next quarter. How do you get around that? How do you kind of put them in the mindset that, well, we're, we're going to have less leads, but the leads that we're going to get are going to be super qualified, so they'll close at a mm -hmm. better rate? I mean, how, how do you kind of manage that conversation? Yeah, I think, again, it, it's a tough conversation to have. It's not easy. But one thing that we've been focusing on is really making sure that those pages that do drive direct leads, like, say, our demo page, our product pages, pricing, that we're yep. spending a lot of time optimizing those pages specifically right. because when people do come and seek those pages out, we know that they're ready and they're qualified. So mm -hmm. we're not focusing on pushing book a demo to every person in demand gen marketing, but people that have been to our website before, we'll retarget them with that and we make sure that that page converts super well. So that's really where we have our team is kind of split on, we have people focusing on CRO and then we have a lot of people focusing on brand events more broader content initiatives. Yeah, yeah. And that's interesting. In terms of, do you still think that the demand gen approach, because I know Chili Piper do a fair bit in SEO as well, and they're ranking well mm -hmm. for a lot of the search terms around your offerings. Do you think kind of in, in today's B2B market, let's say for the tech for tech companies specifically, is it still 
is it a demand gen player you want to you want to focus on or should you look at other channels that are perhaps a bit more old school like organic seo that i talk about a lot um <laughs> and paid and driving people to the site is there is it still very much a multi-channel approach that you recommend or is there any th- kind of things that you think companies should wait towards i guess yeah i think i definitely wouldn't stop doing SEO is just getting harder and more competitive. So it's not Mm. as easy to be number one anymore as it used to be in B2B. Um, There's just much more competition, especially for us. We're up against a lot of kind of bigger free tools that are in very similar spaces to us that just their traffic is just huge. So that makes it really tough for us to compete with them. But um, I would say that that multi-channel approach, one thing that I've seen a lot of people talking about now is kind of demand capture versus demand gen. And yep. I think channels like paid search is a perfect example of you're capturing people that are, are already looking for your tool. Sure. So that's where things like CRO, making sure that your pages convert well is super important. And then making sure that you're driving people to just know about your brand and the solution is a much higher up the funnel kind of thing that you have to be thinking about as well. Yeah, I guess it's getting that balance, right? Because I know there's mm-hmm. a stat around it, and I've probably got this stat completely wrong, but it's something like 4 or 5% of your entire market will only be in the buying position right. to buy right now. So that's when you can capture mm-hmm. them on organic search because they're perhaps searching for your product, like Best X Company or, I don't know, one company versus another, one SaaS company mm-hmm. versus another company. That's when they head to one of your pages because they're in the comparison stage or in the stage where they need to buy. So they'll either hit your organic result or hit your paid result or even go to a comparison site like G2 or Trust Radar, and mm-hmm. then kind of hit up a couple of companies to get some quotes or demos. Whereas the rest of the market, the 95, 97% or whatever it is, isn't wanting to buy, but can be influenced over time. So I suppose that's where things like demand gen and kind of making sure you're putting out that content that's educating the market really comes into play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in the past, things like email nurture could work to move people to that place where they're maybe in the market. But now I think people just tune a lot of that out. So it's, again, I think I saw that same stat around 5% of your buying or your ICP is in buying mode today right now. And those are the people that you want to optimize things like, again, organic paid search and making sure that your pages convert really well. And Again, that's where a tool like Chili Piper comes to make sure when get those qualified leads, they can just either be qualified, book time with the rep right away, and you don't lose them and lose them to a competitor. You want to capture that lead right away. Yeah. Chili Piper's automated scheduling tools are super effective for booking and scheduling demos. I could chat about them all day long, but why not listen as a new customer witnesses the magic of Chili Piper for the very first time? Okay, you're just about to switch gears. I'm ready for it now. Hold on. Oh, we, we got one. We got one? We got one. Oh my God. Ah, yes. All right. Via ownership to... One of our A's pinged me and goes, guess what just worked? Exactly how it should have happened. This is exactly how it should have happened. I could have done it. With, oh my God, you are incredible. So there it is. Proof of the power of Chili Piper. Book your free demo today over at chilipiper.com slash BGS. That's C-H-I-L-I-P-I-P-E-R dot com slash BGS. Chilipiper.com forward slash BGS. Charles runs a software company. He gets a decent amount of leads through his website, through paid ads, 
But when it comes to the organic, non-paid listings on Google, his competitors are stealing his visibility, traffic, and customers, all because they rank higher than him on organic search with SEO, search engine optimization. He set up a call with WebChoice. They took the time to understand his business, goals, and plans, and crafted a long-term strategy to rank higher on Google. After a few months of working with WebChoice, Charles was above the competition and enjoying more organic leads than ever, and was even able to reduce his ad spend from the uptick in organic inbound leads. Want to enjoy more inbound sales leads with SEO? Book a free consultation today at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. So let's let's get back to inbound sales teams because I know some companies mm. still have them um, inbound SDRs. So essentially, they'll, as to, to my understanding, because I've never worked with them, so you might have to correct me if I'm I'm wrong, Tara. So essentially, the lead that someone fills out a form, fills out a demo request, mm-hmm. wherever maybe on your website, that then gets routed to a what's called an inbound SDR, who then pre-qualifies the sales lead or the sales prospect, and then if they're a good fit then they'll send them to an account executive who then set up the demo, whatever the next stage in the sales process is that, is that usually the, the process? Usually that's the process. So there's a lot of points where you could lose the person in that process. So usually at some companies they'll do that pre-qualification over email. So they might, again, they might not answer. You might lose them. Some companies they have to book a meeting and do that qualification on the phone. Okay. So you could lose them. Maybe they don't show up to that first meeting. Maybe they don't ever book a time. And then after the fact, that same SDR has to follow up and book a time with the AE for kind of the real demo that the person was looking for originally. So typically there's just probably about five drop-off points Mm. in there that you could lose the person. So to me, it's just a huge risk of having all those different, it's just a lot of friction in the process. Yeah. I mean, saying it now, it sounds quite cumbersome, right? It's, it's basically saying to speak to someone to get a demo or proposal, whatever that part of your process mm-hmm. is, you've got to speak to someone before you can speak to someone. And then, yeah. like you say, that might be quite frustrating, especially if you're a prospect that wants to move fast. And if you've got to wait like right. a couple of days to get a meeting and then get another meeting, it's just. <laughs> yeah. And often it's thing. questions that you could have asked me on the forum. It's do I have a big sales team? Do I have marketing automation? Do I have budget? Yeah. Like just ask me all that on the forum and then you won't have to have this because really that's the function of those whole teams typically so if Mm. you can streamline any of that up front then you definitely should so what what is what is a better way should we do all that stuff on a website should we let visitors pre-qualify or what do you recommend yeah i definitely i mean i'm a little biased being that (laughs) i'm actually viper but we there's a bunch of tools you can use to pre-qualify so you can use things like Zoom info, clear bit to help fill in those gaps if so you don't have to ask someone 20 questions on a form to qualify them. So those tools are definitely available. And then once you've decided if that lead is qualified, you can use a tool like Chili Piper to route them to the right rep. Maybe you want to route them to, for us, we route leads that are not qualified to a thank you page right away so they know why they were not qualified and they know what the next steps are. So that's another piece I would say is if you are switching from an inbound team to automatic qualification, just make sure that you let people know what's happening next. So if they're qualified and they're booking a meeting, that's a very obvious step. But I've seen a lot of companies that either they just don't show you the calendar if you're not qualified or it's just a very confusing message. So we're very upfront about like, 
hey, sorry, we only work with these CRMs and that's why we can't move forward right now. But we'll keep you posted if that changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you think also in terms of the site itself, in terms of, because I think a lot of B2B companies, we spoke about this a little bit on our last episode when we were talking about kind of best practices mm-hmm. to convert with your website. But do you think you should use the website almost as an all-in-one 24-7 sales rep that's going to kind of give a clear idea of what you do, how you help, pre-qualified prospects. So that might be being very transparent on processes, pricing, case studies, exactly who you're able to help, who you're not able to help. Mm -hmm. So people can almost self-serve and flick through, understand kind of where your your strengths are, what you're going to be able to do, where you sit at in terms of rates, and then proceed to raise their hand for a demo or take that next step. Yeah, I think it is a little bit of self-serve. I know that's often used in more of like a freemium product type conversation, but when you put your pricing out, when you put your use cases and case studies just right ungated on your site, that does let people self-qualify. So if they're if they come to us looking for say a free solution, they'll see that we don't have one today and maybe they'll go to a competitor, maybe they'll fill out our form anyway and see what the options are, but I know we talked about this last time, but if you don't have pricing on your site, you're sort of forced to book a demo to find that out. Mm. So you're probably wasting that rep's time too if you were, say, looking for a free solution. I'd be really interested because I still see quite a few B2B sites that you have to put in your email or some contact information to request a, request the pricing. I'd be interested to, to find what the <laughs> drop-off, what the bounce rate is on their pricing pages. That would be yeah. really interesting to know. Um, I mean, for me, I would leave immediately. I don't know about everyone else, but... I certainly would. If it was a, yeah. if it was a SaaS tool, I would. If, mm-hmm. unless this company had built up so much reputation with me, let's say it was a direct referral of like a close contact or friend and they just right. like really sold it to me. I think that would probably, or I'd followed the company on social or similar for years. I mm-hmm. think those would be the only two use cases that I'd take the time and put my email in for. Otherwise, like you say, I'd just flick off to a site that gives me the, the info I want. Yeah. Or you would ask around, ask a friend, Hey, how much mm. did you pay for this? And then yeah. maybe they were getting a discount and you didn't, and now you have that to kind of use against the sales rep that you do speak with that probably wouldn't yeah. have been on the table if it had just been transparent pricing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it. So I'll play the devil's advocate a, a minute and go against mm-hmm. almost everything I stand against, but is, isn't <laughs> direct, isn't directing everyone to your website a bit of a risk? Aren't you miss, aren't you potentially missing drop-off points? Aren't you, shouldn't you, you be flooding your website with pop-ups like don't exit now, fill in this form and give us <laughs> oh, your no. email and we'll give you 20% off. Shouldn't we be like ramming our forms down people's necks so we don't miss out on those juicy conversions or, or not? I think again, it comes back to what is a conversion worth to you? Mm. So if you're collecting a hundred emails a day, but none of them ever become an opportunity, yeah, something's wrong or you're just spending time on the wrong thing. So I yeah. would, yeah, that was, that's what I would do is I would look at where, what happens to these leads? Are we just emailing them every single day until they unsubscribe or are they actually becoming an op and booking a meeting? Yeah. 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 And when, um, appreciate it was, it was set up kind of before you joined Chili Piper, but do you know the stats on, do you know any rough stats in terms of when they switched this model in terms of kind of the percentage of leads that went to closure and like close one revenue as opposed to before hmm. that's a good question i don't actually think we ever had much gated content period oh, the founders that's have fine, always then. been pretty against yeah. it which is again i'm i'm on the same page so i'm happy about that <laughs> um yeah so i don't have a number to share but but i'm curious from your perspective as an seo obviously hmm. 
you probably don't like gated content too much, but have you seen anyone kind of do both to say have gated content and then also have like an SEO version of that page somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, not tons. We have, we, I mean, we've even worked with companies that, like I say, gate their pricing page. And I often mm -hmm. have conversations with them to learn kind of why they're doing it and the results they're getting out and give them a different point of view and things like that. Um, I know a lot of SEO focused articles, whether that's like, bottom of the funnel articles where they're compare, comparing their SaaS product to another SaaS product might have things as you scroll down, like sign up for our email or download mm -hmm. our tw yeah. 20 top tips to do X or those kind of things. Because <laughs> I kind of get you don't want to lose the traffic because this, this person might be at a certain stage of the funnel and you kind of want to get some info from them so mm -hmm. they don't just get what they want and bounce off your page. So I think sometimes it is a bit of a difficult one. And basically what I'm yeah. saying to you is it depends. Um, <laughs> it depends. That's always the answer, unfortunately. It's just the number think, one marketing answer. I mean, to your point, you don't want people to not know what the next step is if they are interested. So especially for something like you brought up comparison pages, it should be super obvious. Like, okay, I'm sold based on this comparison page. What do I do now? Yeah. But that's not necessarily the same as gating the whole page because you still want people to read it. Yeah, I I mean, personally, I might be a bit biased, but I'd, I'd never say get a full page, in my own opinion, because I just think that's mm -hmm. really harming the user experience. You can have a terrible bounce yeah. rate and very few people are going to actually give you their info, their name, their email, whatever, just to mm -hmm. consume a bit of content. So likely the bounce rate on that page is going to be horrific. But yeah. I think meeting somewhere halfway, like what I said before on when I've been on other shows, other podcasts, is that for my own use case I made a guide a about a year ago called the no bs guide to website lead gen where I basically shared all mm -hmm. the secrets that I've learned from 11 years or so of doing websites and SEO put them into a book originally I sold it for like 15 pounds like 20 dollars not much and then six months later I made it free in return for an email and um, so I basically said if you sign up for the book you'll get my weekly email and you'll get the guide which I kind of felt was fair because people were paying for it before, told yeah, me it was worth a value. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if it had just been like a two pager and something like that, I feel that it's not really worth someone's info in return, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. I think it's yeah, I think I've seen a lot of good examples of things that like lead magnets where it's the whole yeah. page is ungated, but it's kind of like if you want the full deep dive, this is the gated part, which I think that yeah. again, it's like, is it worth the value of giving up my email? You have to really think about that sometimes because you don't know what's going to happen with your email. But there's some really good examples of that. I think where it gets tough is when, let's say, for example, if you're a product-led growth company and maybe you've got a free trial for your software mm -hmm. or your SaaS solution, if you put out an article on a certain topic, someone reads it and thinks, well, this company is really helpful and give me some useful tips. They might sign up for your free trial because it's such an easy ask. Whereas if you're a company that's like us, you don't have a free trials, so you've got to pay to get right. on the get invested, then it's higher friction. Um, so that's when I think marketers struggle because they think that I'm just going to lose this visitor because they've got the information they need. They've, we've answered their questions. Now they're going to bounce off. Mm -hmm. But then I suppose that's when other aspects, things like if you're doing retargeting pixels and then you're yeah. kind of showing them ads over time because you, you know your website audience and then you can get in front of them with whether it's LinkedIn ads, Facebook ads, whatever. Mm -hmm then I suppose you've still got the time over time to kind of keep in front of them. Yeah, one thing we've been experimenting with is instead of asking for something like an email, we've been adding buttons on our site to follow us on LinkedIn. So again, okay. we'll be in your feed. You'll yeah. see us all the time without us having nice. to pay for those impressions. Um, yeah, I don't have any results on that just yet, but we're testing that out throughout our blog instead of 
just like newsletter sign up or give us your email in exchange for something else. Yeah. And I suppose there's other things like trusting that some people on your site might then hit your resources tab. And if you've got things like a podcast, like I know obviously we both do. And if you've got video series mm-hmm. or how to guides, then trusting that they'll, they'll go further on the site, explore things. And then like you say, maybe connect you on social media or follow you on some other channel. So all, all is not necessarily lost if they don't book the demo there and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially if, again, if you know, when you capture that email, not too much happens. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's worthwhile to be elsewhere. So for us, we know our audience spends a lot of time on LinkedIn. So if we can get them to follow us, then we'll constantly be on their feed. And that's a huge win for us versus you're on our newsletter list and maybe you'll open it. Maybe we'll go to your promotions tab. We can't really control that too much. So that's why we're playing a little bit with just more social channels. Yeah. 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 And are there any other points, whether it's on the website or outside of the website that you think perhaps B2B companies are missing a trick when it comes to actually turning their hard-earned visitors into kind of qualified demo requests? Hmm. I think... Not specifically on your website. I think one thing that I see a lot on LinkedIn and social media specifically is that people just, or company pages, I should say, just go for the hard sell way too often. Mm. I've unfollowed a lot of pages just because it's it's the opposite of what you're saying. They're just constantly asking for you to take the next step, book a demo. It's That's not really what social media is for, especially on the organic side. So if you want to do that with your retargeting or with other channels, that's a different story. But People don't follow someone on LinkedIn for that kind of hard sell all the time. So I would almost pull back on that versus pushing for that conversion every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that you're exactly right. Literally, you've only got to scroll through LinkedIn and myself probably most mm-hmm. days. There's like five companies that are just saying straight away, book a demo. Um, and you'll see they have zero up. comments, <laughs> zero likes. Yeah, zero likes, zero yeah. comments. It's like, well, mm-hmm. I'm not sure about booking a demo because first of all, I don't know who the heck your company is or what you can bring to the table. Yeah. Um, there's a chap called Justin Rowe that runs a company called Link and Learn. And he he actually puts out some really interesting content. So if, I'd recommend following on LinkedIn mm-hmm. around, basically around demand gen and LinkedIn ads because he runs a LinkedIn ads co. I don't often plug other companies on the on the show, but he actually puts really <laughs> interesting stuff on this because mm-hmm. basically he shares about how you can take a different approach rather than just ram and get a dummy down people's necks. Mm-hmm. Um, testing out things like, like you say, taking video clips from podcasts bringing up common questions that you get on sales calls and answering that with your content. So taking more of a strategy that you're just posting organically on LinkedIn, but instead of that, you're turning it into an ad. So it almost looks like it's part of the normal feed Mm. rather than just doing something that's a blatant ad and trying to kind of get someone through the funnel. Yeah, we're doing a test right now, actually, where we're, because most of our LinkedIn spend on the ad side is sponsored posts, which is the typical format for LinkedIn Mm. ads. Um, but we're doing that versus boosting an organic post, exact same content, same link, everything. Um, so far they're neck and neck. So not, neither is coming up ahead, but I was thinking that the boosted post would just do much better. So I'm curious to see mm. how that goes, but yeah, that would be interesting. That would be interesting to find out for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Right. That's, I think we covered some good round in terms of kind of the, the opposition to, to using Git content. Any, <laughs> any final words, Tara, for any, any marketers, that need to have uh, tough chats with with their perhaps senior <laughs> management team after this after listening to this podcast. Any final kind of tips on what they should say, like in terms of um, yes, the leads might go down, but what we're going to get if we take this approach is going to be a lot better qualified 
better conversations it's going to help us it's going to help our sales mm-hmm. team and it's going to going to help revenue i think again i would look at where your actual customers and opportunities are coming from and spend as much as you can um it often won't be social ads or even paid search won't come up too much they'll remember things like podcast appearance an event they went to that your team was at so i would try to really get granular about that you can even have we have our sales team on the demo they ask kind of what prompted you to book this call and we track that in salesforce so that's another way you could do it a lot of companies yep. are doing it just on their demo form now too but getting that anecdotal feedback and kind of pairing that with the data is really important mm-hmm. um i did see a linkedin post earlier this week that i thought did such a good job <laughs> of capturing this kind of whole sentiment but it was um liam maroney i don't know if you follow him but he is a really good follow on LinkedIn. And he basically just said that your B2B marketing should not be kind of a mouse trap and you should market with respect. And if you trick someone into giving you their email, that's, it's just not a good way to go about things. I can't, I can't explain the way that he did so concisely, well, but. Um, you mean we're not bas- meant to offer people $150 voucher for taking a demo? Basically, that was what he was getting at. Is <laughs> not going to name any names, but there's plenty of companies doing it. Yeah, there's plenty of that. And you might get those people into your funnel, but it's not going to be a good experience for them. Your sales rep probably won't be happy either to be dealing with those prospects. So really just thinking about it as how you would prefer to purchase something and kind of treating your customers with that same amount of respect. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to end it. I like that point on how do you hear about us because I've had a lot of pushback on the how do you hear about us form because for example mm-hmm. web choice we very much take a multi-channel approach so we're doing yep. a fair bit of seo we're doing paid ads doing linkedin organic doing the podcast so we get inbound ops from a range of different channels so quite often even on the how do you hear about us section of our form where we want to get the granular detail on kind of the, the full funnel of how someone heard about us from initial point to converting people might still put google and that google mm-hmm. was just the point that captured the demand so right. Uh, I'll often, like you say, say on the sales call, if we jump on the sales call, I say, look, what was the full journey? Like you say, how, how did, what prompted you to reach out to us today or kind of how did mm-hmm. you discover us? And then you'll get a, the full granular journey that you can dive deeper into. Because I think sometimes even the form doesn't give all, give you the full experience. I don't know what your experience is there. Yeah, I find as soon as you can ask someone in person or I guess over Zoom, you'll just get, again, a full picture versus, oh, I just Googled. Yeah this word. And it's like, well, I Googled it because I heard about you on this other podcast. And then my friend at this other company <laughs> used you. Yeah. It's just, it's often much more complicated than just Google search or direct. Yeah. 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 Just getting the full picture. Good stuff, Tara. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Thanks once again for coming on. Please do tell everyone how they can learn more about yourself, Chili Piper, and the best way to get in touch. Sure. Yeah. So I'd love it if you could check out our podcast. It's called Demand Gen Chat. And we put out a new episode every two weeks now. And I'm also obviously on LinkedIn and Twitter, and I can share those links with Sam later. Thank you so much. No worries. And we'll put all of those links over in the show notes at businessgrowth.marketing. And with that, thanks once again for coming on, Tara. Enjoyed the chat. Thanks so much for having me, Sam. No worries. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, a quick rating or review on your podcast channel of choice really helps us a lot. Or if you're on YouTube, a quick subscribe. And with that said, we'll catch you on the next episode for more No BS actionable marketing tips to grow your business and revenue. Cheers for tuning in.